afternoon, everybody. The days are getting long. It's uh, April 24, 2019. And uh, believe it or not, <clears throat> cannabis prohibition is still rampant in High Sarah. Um, I want to introduce you to uh, the show that we got going on here. We call it A Cup of Joe. And although it's a little warm, I still say uh, sharing a cup of joe is always a neighborly thing, and it's always a thing that uh, folks can get together and unite. The idea of this show is obviously that we're going to have a conversation, connect with each other on a personal level, and hopefully um, make a difference. Um, I've been working hard to make a difference a good chunk of my life as I became aware that there was some reason to be alive. When I was uh, about 18 years old, I had an accident. And uh, for lack of a better way to explain it in the short version, I bounced out of the back of a pickup truck and landed on my head and uh, got quite a, quite a noggin basher. Anyways, I was in a coma for a few days and... Uh, when I woke up, I uh, can still remember waking up out of this thing, and I don't remember being in it. I remember waking up and having a moment of, oh, shit, I don't know anything. I don't know who I am. And I remember looking out the window of my hospital bed, and out the window was this place, um, it used to be a golf course and back in, uh, I think it was 1976 or 75. We had a big flood, and the flood came through and flooded out this area of the golf course. And they didn't rebuild it, so it was like the back, I don't know, the, the back last holes, and they just said, you know what, we're just going to let it go wild. And so it was this sort of wilderness area that came up with a little stream running through it, and... Uh, when I was a 10, 11-year-old kid, me and my buddies used to get up in the morning early before uh, school and we'd get our pellet guns and we'd break them down put them in our backpacks and ride our bikes down to this wild place and we'd go hunting. And we'd shoot little creatures and we would get them and we would skin them and dry their pelts out and, you know, we were these wilderness kids. And then we'd put our guns back together and ride our bikes home and go off to school. Anyways, I spent quite a bit of time in this wilderness area, but from down in it, you looked up at the hospital. And uh, so I remember looking out this hospital window. And again, I'm 18 years old, and I'm sitting here going, I don't know anything. I don't know who I am. Nobody was in the room. I had tubes and things sticking out of my arm, and, and I, you know, uh, I didn't know. Anyways, I felt back asleep, and every time I would fall asleep and wake up, I would remember a little more, and things started coming back to me. And at one point, I can remember, every time I'd wake up, it seemed like there was a different group of people in the hospital room. I was, I was blessed back then as I am now. I always had a lot of people around me, a lot of good folks. I'm uh, and a person that, that uh, likes people, so um, tend to gather them and collect them and whatever. 
Anyways, um, at 18 years old, you, especially as a male, you don't know anything. I mean, you're ridiculously stupid and ridiculously strong and ridiculously full of testosterone. And it's the most horrible mix of things. And so, you know, I made a lot of bad choices at that time in my life. But I can still remember as I'm sitting in this hospital bed thinking to myself, uh, you know, I, I probably should be dead because, as it turned out, that injury I sustained um, was potentially a lethal one. Some other kid had, had a similar injury not that far from when I did it. And when my neurologist told me, he said, you know, you're a lucky guy because somebody else had a very similar injury and they didn't survive it. And I thought to myself way back then, I said, you know, I just have this sense. i got a reason to be here. And, you know, obviously being a father was, was a big one of those reasons, probably maybe the biggest one. You know, you get given a gift of, of life, of, of, of charge over another life. And the responsibility of, of bringing a child into this world and giving them all the tools that you can and, and you know, try to uh, uh, breed in them goodness and maybe some kind of a purpose and maybe foster, you know, some talent and, and, and bring up bring out their uh, intelligence if you can. Give them an education, all those good things. Anyways, that was, you know, in my opinion today, probably my biggest um, purpose in life. But it seems that from many years ago, almost 20 years ago, I've, I've come upon these injustices that needed to be challenged, and, um, you know, it started when I had my wedding business at my place, and the county came in and tried to shut me out, we stood up and fought, fought them, and then a cannabis thing. Now, in the 70s, I was, I started smoking pot in the 70s, but I started growing pot in the 80s, and I started allegedly selling pot probably in the mid-80s. And at the time, it was just illegal. It was just illegal. And we knew it was illegal, and we took steps to keep ourselves from getting in trouble, and we were low-key, and we had standards of working with different people. And, you know, it was old school. And then later on, you know, these laws started passing and things started being allowed and then everybody started thinking, hey, you know, we're getting somewhere. And I never really bought into it. When when I was running my collective 11, 12 years ago, and I knew that we were following California as well, best as we could, but we knew it was a it was a weak law. It was a law that was written vaguely, and we knew the courts were slamming people when they when they took a mind to it. And um, I always knew every time I rolled up on it, it was always the feds I was worried about, but I always knew that it could happen. And then the one day it finally did happen. And it was, you know, on my way home, I had all the medicine from the collective in my back of my pickup truck and the front of my pickup truck and all around my pickup truck. It was, Quite a, quite a full little pickup truck, 
And I can remember getting pulled over thinking to myself, wow, you know, here's where it gets put to the test. And I had this whole stack of paperwork that was supposed to protect me and supposed to, uh, you know, give me some kind of a pass because we were following the law. But I can still remember the cop. His last name was Banyan, and he was this douchebag. And I remember him looking at me and looking at all this pot and opening it up and scratching his head and setting it out on his on his uh of his car and and, you know, sticks me in the back of the car and he's trying to be polite and keep me from getting squirrely but uh he just keeps coming back and then he gets back up and they come rolling up and then my wife and my daughter come rolling up and my wife's freaking out and cop's got his hand on his gun and I'm just like, Oh jeez you know, and I can remember them hauling me off to the to the local sheriff's station, and um, you know they start opening up all this pot, and of course it smelled really good because it was good pot, and all the people, all the cops laughing, and and what a what a scene it was. And I'm sitting here, you know, kind of numb at that time when it first got first happened. I'm sitting in a in a drunk tank for a minute with with the drunk guy, thinking to myself, wow. Um, first time I've ever been in jail, really, and uh, I had no idea what was in store for me. I had no idea that uh, here, more than 12 years later, I would, uh, you know, be a hardcore advocate, that I would have started a nonprofit, 501c3, that I would have gone all around the country trying to uh, help people fight their cases. Um, and I would have ended up fighting a, a big case and getting locked up numerous times and, and uh, you know, having to be the tip of the spear for a little while. I had no idea how all that was in store for me. And I can also remember the moment when that big switch flipped on and I, I was sitting in a holding cell this first time. I'm in Riverside, uh, Robert Presley Detention Center in Riverside downtown. <clears throat> And, uh, you know, when you get processed into jail, they like to make it take a whole day almost. They get paid a lot of money for all these people that get processed in. So they, they move you from one holding cell to another, and they do all the horrible crap they do to you. And I can remember sitting in this one cell for hours. It was just this holding cell. And a bunch of people were in there, and sometimes they'd come and they'd go. But a lot of... Uh, Addicts, a lot of people, uh, you know, coming off of heroin, and I, the first time I ever came in contact with, with somebody trying to kick heroin, boy, what a, what a rough way about it. And I'm sitting here in this holding cell. At one point, there was nobody but me in it, and I remember looking around at these concrete walls and these metal bars on the door, and I'd never been caged before. I've always been a pretty free guy. I've always been, you know, aired on the side of stupid and and free. And I need my cell phone when yeah, Craig not, calls. Yeah, I got it. Oh, okay. I heard it out there. And uh, I remember sitting in this holding cell, feeling trapped like an animal. And I'm looking around going, wow, yeah, I don't belong here. And there's not a thing I can do about it. I can't get out of here. I don't, I'm thinking to myself, 
I just have no idea how to get out of this place. And then I'm thinking to myself why I'm in here and sort of relived, you know, sort of a bunch of my life and about my my connection to this plant and the amount of plants that I had grown and 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 smoked and made things with and helped people with and all this stuff and I thought to myself, man, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. And all of a sudden, something snapped inside of me. And uh, I said, I got to stop this. I got to stop this. I can't. I, this is ridiculous. How could this happen? If this is happening to me, who else is it happening to? And at the time, I really didn't have a whole lot of an understanding about all the people that are locked up, and I didn't know a lot about all the cases that were going on, had been going on. I didn't know much of the history of the people that had paved the way of, of all of this. I just knew I was in it now, and uh, it was a game changer. That moment in that one uh, holding cell, a concrete, probably a six by 12 room with a little toilet sink on one side of it and a steel bench down the middle of it and iron bars in the front just like you see in the movies. And and I really got a chance to think during all the time I was locked up, five times I was arrested and held and locked up and all that whole nightmare. It gave me time to think about where I really stand in all this about why am I here? Why am I standing here? Why am I doing this radio show? You know, I don't have any criminal charges on me anymore. Why am I fighting to end prohibition? Am I doing it so that a few people can have it and everybody else can't? Am I doing it so that it's lawful? You know, I've been um, listening to all these uh, uh, biographies and autobiographies. I just finished up uh, one of Martin Luther King's books. And um, a couple of things came out of that, and he's got a lot of books. I'm going to probably read them all at one point. But he referenced Gandhi, and I I haven't studied Gandhi, but I'm going to. And um, one of the things that that came to my attention with Gandhi, you know, this is all about peaceful protest. This is all about nonviolent action and resistance and the power that lies within it. You know, they said that the British got so angry when the Indians stood together and protested in a peaceful way because they wanted them to be violent so they could respond with violence. And one of the things that the king kept coming up was Martin Luther King Jr. and the whole civil rights movement and, and Gandhi and the, you know, fighting the oppression of the British was the idea of bad laws. Bad laws. Bad laws need to be broken. That, that was kind of a theme that kept coming up. You know, but we need to do it in a peaceful way. We're not violently, you know, walking away from law and order. I'm not against law and order by any means. I am against bad laws. I'm horribly against bad laws. And, and a bad law, for example, would be the Controlled Substances Act. That places cannabis, a harmless, 
helpful plant in a category with harmful, dangerous chemicals. And one of the things that came up with this this little bit of studying I've been doing was uh, another quote, and I don't have the quote in front of me. I was going to be prepared today and have these things together, but essentially it had to do with the um, the injustice and and the problem. And the problem wasn't necessarily with the bad people doing bad things as much as it was with the good people doing nothing. How many of us are guilty of not doing enough? How many of us are guilty of enjoying a freedom that other people have suffered to gain and that's not being willing to do anything about it? We're willing to to enjoy it. We're willing to talk about it. We're willing to start a business with it. We're willing to make money with it. We're willing to grow it and share it and smoke it and be high with it. But we're not willing to fight for it. We're not willing to stand up for it. We're not willing to get called on a jury and and do the right thing and say no. And when we get arrested, we're not willing to stand up and fight. We, We bow down and take these plea deals too easily. And we wonder why people come in with these laws they come in with these laws that allow for a few people to do a few things and the rest of us remain criminals the rest of us remain the same fearful uh, at risk we we remain in a in a in a fragile state because at any given time somebody could rat on us and tell the wrong person the wrong thing and i would have to say just about everybody i know is guilty of doing something illegal with regards to pot somewhere down the line and yet so many I, i'm hearing nowadays with these laws that have passed and have allowed for certain people and certain things to happen. These people to get all sanctimonious and say, well, you know, these guys are okay because they're legal. And all those illegal people, well, they're dangerous and they're they're harmful and they're, yeah. And I think to myself, how did this come to be? And it came to be simply because a few people did act, and those people that did act tend to be the same ones that act because they push something forward that was in their best interest. There aren't any good laws out there yet. There's some better than others. But there aren't any laws that just allow people to have this plant and if you want to start a business, start a business. Treat it like any other similar substance. No, it's not that at all. It allows for a few people that are wealthy and and knowledgeable and usually connected to uh, go out there and and apply and go through all the legal hoops and get the right paperwork done. And then they have to go through these compliance things and the growers have to be compliant and then the manufacturers have to be compliant and everybody's got to jump through these hoops and the distributors have to be compliant and huge amounts of products are getting destroyed because they're not compliant. And are they poisonous or toxic? I don't know. Still haven't heard of a single person dying from pot. 
There's one guy claimed that, you know, it was a moldy pot that got that killed him. I would bet if we were to examine these cases that it wasn't directly just one thing that caused this harm. And then we compare it to other substances on the planet. You know, go look up Google recalls of food and, and medicine. Google They've been recalling. Yeah, there we go. We, we got this, this drug that was FDA approved at one point and thalidomide that's caused countless uh, deaths and, and uh, deformations and uh, just horrible uh, mutations that it caused in, in children and because of pregnant women being given this FDA approved drug. Don't, that doesn't happen with cannabis. It doesn't, nor has it. And the other thing that I heard about Gandhi, and again, I haven't even begun to study this guy, but he's certainly um, somebody that needs to be studied and somebody that I want to spend some time studying. I was told, and I don't know this to be true, but he never had more than about 100 people that were close to him that were actually doing the work with him. I mean, he gathered lots of people together and inspired lots of people. But his people, his team, was never a huge one. And I think to myself, well, that's, that's, uh, that's inspiring, encouraging, because our little team is getting bigger and better. And we're covering more ground and we're doing more things and we're reaching out with a common vision and a common goal of actually ending prohibition, ending it. Not trying to pass another shitty bill, not trying to get another flawed law, not trying to take another baby step, but just ending it. And of course we support anything that's better than what we had. Hey, if it's better than what we had, it's better than what we had. If it gives us some freedom, that's some freedom we didn't have. But I'm not going to stop until we don't have anybody locked up anymore. I'm not going to stop until it's not a crime anymore. I'm not going to stop until anybody who needs this plant can get it at a reasonable rate because it's not overly taxed and overly regulated. And if somebody feels like growing it in their own backyard any way they want, organic or not, it's not my business. They want to make medicine out of it any way they want, not my business. If they want to put it in their body any way they want, as much of it as they want, anyhow, it's not my business. Unfortunately, money gets involved, and I think that we're in a place where we could have a swing. I just heard that uh, this morning, I just heard that one of the uh, A kingpin in a, in a drug company just got uh, indicted um, as part of the opiate crisis, and the DEA is actually going after the head of a, I think it's the CEO of a fairly major drug company. And it has to do with the opiate uh, problem. Now that's a real problem that actually has victims. And a lot of money has been made, <coughs> and the drug companies have pushed a lot of things to happen in a certain way. And if you look at the money and where it goes and where it comes from, you'll see it's all connected. Prisons have been built. Laws have been passed. And it all goes in one direction. But we got Craig Cecil here and we'll see what he has to say. Recorded and is subject to monitoring. 
is they took out a, pr- a provision that prisons are designed to rehabilitate the prisoners. They completely excised that from their policy, and now their policy is merely to store the inmates, you know, store them through the term of their sentence and protect the public by storing them. I mean, there's no more, you know, push towards rehabilitation, and that's where I think uh, really the criminal justice problem lies, because so much, you know, they complain about people coming out of prison, and they come back two, three, four, five times to prison, and I think a lot of the reason is, is the only thing they learn in prison is that they, you know, that, that they have to deal with authority by using force. That's, you know, that there just is no future for them because there's no future for them in the prison or directly after the prison. So, I mean, sadly, I, I think the prisons actually are making more criminals and crimes than, than they're uh, stopping. Well, I mean, they get all that uh, next to free labor, too. I mean, I would think that they might, you know, think to uh, organize things a little better for the, you know, for for that by itself. But it doesn't seem to matter much. No, unfortunately, I think they're... The biggest weakness is if there's nobody that oversees the prisons. There isn't a, you know, a group like... Uh, you know, OSHA that oversees, you know, manufacturing and construction that, you know, kind of verifies the safety of the worker. There's nobody that oversees the prisons and verifies the safety of the prisoners or, or even the safety of the staff that act right. So the lack of oversight just kind of leaves everything to run amok as it, as it does. Well, um... Anything good to report? Have you guys started your softball yet? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, on the, there's an electronic uh, bulletin board at the prison. And uh, just today they posted up the schedule that I finalized on Monday. <laughs> and uh, uh, so the, the teams aren't selected. The schedule's up. Our first game will be Friday evening, which so far the weather looks good. The, the ball field's ready, and hopefully I've got enough umpires trained. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well, I I wish you the very best in that. Hopefully you guys will have a great game. Did you, did you hear about the uh, – I heard on the news today there was a CEO of one of the drug companies that just got uh, indicted or charged with uh, uh, drug conspiracy for uh, being part of the opiate uh, – Met his his company did some shady things uh, early on, and you know when the oxycotton and all these opiates were really flooding the market, there was a point where they were giving them out like candy, and people could go from one doctor to another to another and get multiple prescriptions and have all they wanted really, and these drug companies weren't doing anything to keep that from happening. In fact, they were making it easy. Uh, easy for people to, uh, you know, to have access to this. And I guess they're finally going after uh, a couple of them. So, you know, maybe they're spending their time on something they ought to for once. Yes, I remember actually... This call is from a federal prison. As a prisoner, it's not all that easy to talk well of just sessions, but that is something that he put in motion, that rather than... Uh, the federal government or the DEA chasing after guys that were selling crap on street corners in New York and Chicago and L.A. 
And instead, they're going to go after these big distribution groups, especially the, the fentanyl of the all the different kinds of opi the prescription opioids. And you, you can see the fruits of that recently. You see all those pharmacists and doctors and, and like you say, even drug company executives, you know, now at the end of a year or two investigation, they're arresting them, showing that they're, you know, prescribing just huge prescriptions to, you know, hundreds of people. A lot of them they, they never even examined. <laughs> Yeah, it, you know, what's interesting about that, though, is they've taken away hundreds of doctors' licenses for recommending, not prescribing, but recommending the use of cannabis, which never hurt anybody and never, never, uh, you know, there's no, still no death directly attributed to cannabis use. And, yeah, these doctors here, I mean, they're responsible possibly for hundreds or thousands of deaths and ruined lives. And, you know, they've, they've taken out a couple of them. It's, it's still pretty lopsided the way they go after these guys. Right. I mean, I can understand when somebody's in pain, they do need pain relief. And those Oxycontin-type, uh, you know, opioid pain relievers, uh, I have some experience. And with it is I had a disc taken out of my neck, which, of course, is painful. And I took those uh, pills, you know, for a few days after, and I just realized after about the third or fourth day, I was I was doing things that were just straight stupid. I didn't realize they were stupid. And those pills actually made me stupid. I drove my car and I went to I went to pick up a friend that lived about 25 miles from me. I'm driving down the expressway uh, near Chicago to to go and get her. And I, and I didn't realize anything was wrong until I passed the sign that said, Welcome to Indiana. How do you explain that to somebody? That's funny. That's funny. Well, on another note, I saw another article that said that there was a, a person, I, I don't remember the, the details, but he had tortured a couple of, of young girls, I think it was, and he was going to be sentenced, and I think he was going to do like 10 years, and then he was going to be eligible for parole. And, I mean, it, it, this was a heinous crime. I mean, this was not, not, a, not just, a, you know, uh, just, a, just an oversight. This was somebody did some evil to some people that ruined their lives. And um, I thought about that, and I said, wow. You know, I wish there would be some way that we could get the people that are that are in power to actually look at that and then look at a case like yours and so many more of these pot cases. You know, I spent a weekend a week ago with uh, Cher Christie, who just got out of, of prison for pot, and, um, you know, it messed her up, you know, and, and she only, only, she did two years. Um, or just under two years, and, uh, you know, talk about somebody who never hurt anybody ever, you know. Um, it's just unbelievable that they're willing to treat people that have not ever caused uh, a victim in their life, and they treat them worse than somebody who's done some just heinous, evil, terrible, unspeakable acts. 
it, it blows me away, and, and, and that there's not really a big call for justice in this area. It's not, you know, these calls for change are, are you know, they're good and, and they're important, but nobody's really laying it down going, do you realize this stuff's happening? You know, nobody's doing a side-by-side comparison um, in a way that's reaching the right people, and, and I know that we've done that with our letters to the Congress people and, and phone calls and efforts we're making to reach out to our to these lawmakers and, and people in power, but you just wonder sometimes, uh, you know, what's it going to take to get that audience, to get a real audience with somebody that can really get something done? And now, there's a couple of cases just earlier this year that I've been watching. One was, uh, was in the news a couple of years ago, and they finally went to trial this year with a, a police officer, Van Dyke, in Chicago, who drove up to uh, where a, basically a mentally retarded uh, guy was kind of standing around in the street in Chicago in front of a, a bunch of other police cars, but he pulled up, got out of his police car, and shot the kid 17 times. And, of course, he died. He just got convicted and sentenced in court. His sentence is seven years, and he'll get paroled a couple of two or three years early at that. Wow. But then again, you know, as a first-time offender, I get a life sentence for kicking the trucks at Homer Kawada. <laughs> but then again, you look at that life sentence, and there was somebody convicted earlier this year also for drugs, and that's Shuffle Guzman. Right. And part of his trial was, I believe, they, they charged him with uh, being directly complicit in the death of, of I believe, eight people. And everybody kind of accepts the score. But he's going to get the same sentence as me. Right, right. There's, some, there's something wrong with our sentencing. Well, I'm, I'm always open to ideas on how to be more effective at reaching the people that can make a difference. And, of course, I always encourage people to do what they can to be one of those people that can make a difference. So uh, you got your first beep already. I'm going to let you let you round it out. Well, first of all, I want to thank everybody that's, you know, forwarded letters to their congressmen and all that to say, you know, why does uh, federal drug crimes in marijuana carry higher sentences for distributing marijuana than it does for raping or murdering people? You know, why does it carry three to four times as much time in prison? You know, why is that, you know, the, the scourge that we have our law enforcement chasing after, but yet there's murderers and rapists who get three and four year sentences. There's, there's something wrong with our sentencing system that the federal government needs to really make an effort to fix. Well, and there you have it. Craig Cecil talking to us from Terre Haute, Indiana, where he's currently in prison indirectly for pot, serving a life sentence without possibility of parole. Without possibility of parole. Now, most people that get convicted of violent crimes, virtually all of them, at one point are eligible to get out. But if you're convicted on a drug crime in the federal system, no parole. No hope. And good people are sitting silently and not doing anything about it. 
And that's what I'm here, hopefully to uh, engage one of you, maybe two, maybe a hundred, maybe a thousand. Imagine what we could do if we had a thousand people that decided they really wanted to work together to really change this once and for all. I can. I do. That's why I'm here. All right. We've got our featured guest, Don Skiki, on the line right now. And we also have Glenn Keeling, Pete Yapel, and Tom Corby to speak. And uh, I'm going to bring up Glenn Keeling first because I know he has to leave early sometimes. And then we're going to go to Don, and uh, then we'll go to Pete, and then Tom will wrap up the show. So Glenn Keeling is currently fighting a case with his wife, Peggy, in the state of Ohio, where they have a law that allows you to do some things and not others. And as is so often the case, they pick and choose what they say you're doing and what they say you're not doing, and they accuse you of doing things that fall outside of what the law allows you to do, which is why all of these laws are nothing but bullshit. They don't work. We need to correct it. We need to end it. We need to decriminalize. We need to repeal these laws. Ah, then we wouldn't have such a problem. Then Glenn and Peggy wouldn't be fighting a case like this where the government says, well, you weren't doing this, you were doing that. And while in the middle of fighting this case, they could end them in prison for a long time, but it won't because we're standing by them and they're fighting and they're going, the right thing is going to happen, it is happening. But they're also leading the charge. They're coordinating and leading a chapter of the Human Solution International. They've got the Creative Care Beacon chapter. And last weekend they were out at a show representing. Made me proud. Made me proud. So these guys are out there on the front line battling around where so many people are busy pissing on themselves because they're trying to get their business to go and they're trying to hurry up and stake a claim rather than fix the problem so anybody can enter into business if they decided they want to or just grow and make their own medicine. Glenn Keeling, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Oh, good evening, Joe. I'm doing good. Thank you very much for having me on. <laughs> Always my pleasure. Tell me about the weekend. What happened? Oh, we had a great weekend. We were able to go to the very first Ohio. Um, it was the Holistic Health and Cannabis Expo held in Lima, Ohio. Um, I was able to go over and, and give a speech um, on both Friday and Saturday. I, I uh, talked about what the Human Solution done. I talked about Craig Cecil serving life in prison, man. I tell you, that's that's a mechanic serving life in prison for cannabis. Never even touched, never even seen. You know, we talked about Lance Gore uh, serving 10 years in prison out there in (coughs) Washington. It it amazes me that how many people just are surprised about people serving time. You know, we talked to a lot of people that were just amazed that people are still serving time or getting arrested here in Ohio still for something that people are allowed to go to the store and buy. That's just, it, it, it just shocked a lot of people. And it was really nice that most of the people we talked to over the weekend were in forties and above. So that, that, that was kind of nice. It shows where, where the cannabis movement is going and, and who's paying attention to it. Um, yeah, we're we, we're facing time 
uh, ourselves here in Mercer County, Ohio, um, a lot of time, too much time for two people to be serving for, for any kind of a plant. Um, but, yeah, I tell you, reach out to us, reach out to any of the chapters. You know, there is cases going on near you, close to you that, you know, need support. There's somebody that needs to be reached out. Find your closest chapter, man, and reach out because the Human Solution, man, has got a great bunch of people. And I'm so glad that a year and a half ago that we reached out to this group. Well, we are too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have, I probably at the beginning of May, we're going to start doing classes over in Lima. A um, little bit of uh, CBD 101, Cannabis 101 at a place called One River Collective um, under Joshua Hayes' doctor office. It's pretty nice that we get a chance to go and and teach about cannabis and and let people know that there is an an alternative. Excellent, excellent. And that's, you know, one part of our our mission is about support and standing up and and helping those people that are – Victims, and I hate that word victim, but there are truly victims of this drug war. And the other part of our mission is about education, because that's the only way we're going to end prohibition, is because prohibition exists today because of lies and deception and cover-ups. And the truth would set it free. If everybody knew the truth about this plant, people would not put up with these laws. People would not put up with these laws, and it'd be over. But we've been fooled, we've been lied to, we've been, there's, been, there's been propaganda ran down our throat for the past almost 100 years now. 80 years it's been literally rammed down our throat, generation after generation. So right. the truth you is know, the answer, about that. education is, is the key. Right. You know, something on the other side of that, Joe, if people really knew when the actual prohibition of cannabis actually started, you, it would surprise them. You know, I mean, it, it it started in Vegas in the 20s, you know, and people don't, they, they feel to, to pass, to, to miss that, you know, that Las Vegas was one of the first uh, places to, you know, put a ban on, on the marijuana, um, you know, and, and then it just went from there, you know. Uh, but yeah, it started in the 20s, and that's it's sickening to think that you know a plant that people used, you know, our, our forefathers used, you know, to build this country. I mean, the Constitution's wrote on hemp paper. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. Well, I, I am more more than proud that you guys are are standing up and and working with us and helping us while you're while you're busy fighting your own case and. Uh, I am just uh, would always encourage anybody that's anywhere near Ohio, um, if you guys want to get involved with some good folks doing good work, um, get a hold of Glenn and Peggy. And how would they do that? Oh, you can find either one of us on Facebook. We also are under the Creative Care Beacon. It's the Ohio chapter of the Human Solution International. Or you can just simply call me. My phone number is 419-863-0498. Excellent. Well, I appreciate, as always, the hard work you're putting in and, and especially sharing uh, your exploits with us. And uh, I'm just proud to see you guys out there growing and sharing and educating. And uh, 
being a part of the solution. Thank you. Thank you very much, Joe. I'm proud to be part of this this, this movement. Excellent. Glenn Keeling and his wife Peggy, Creative Care Beacon Chapter of the Human Solution in Ohio. All right, now we got Don Skinky up. Um, and he is advocating a bill, and I really haven't studied this bill, so I'm uh, just going to bring you up, Don, and let you uh, tell us a little bit about the bill. First, I want to introduce or introduce you and welcome you to the show. Don Skinky, welcome to the show. Hi, Joe. How are you? I, I don't know if you remember, but um, we actually met at the uh, world-famous <laughs> Uh, farmer cannabis farmers market in Tacoma several years ago when you were doing a bus trip. I do so, remember you um, actually. We were uh, we rolled up and uh, I think I was with um, uh, with Debbie, Terry Boyder, Terry Boyder, and others come to mind. Oh yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> but I know our anyway. time is short, and you know we don't need to rehash that. But first of all, I want to thank everybody that writes a letter to uh, a prisoner. Uh, they are in a cold and lonely place. If you can um, go and bear witness at trial, uh, and by I don't mean get on the stand. I mean go to court for somebody that's been charged. Uh, they're often alone. Their family and community abandons them. So, um, you know, show up in court, sit on their side, uh, let them know that they're not all alone. You know, buy them lunch if they're not in, in custody. And uh, support the prisoners, support the patients. And, you know, I live in Washington State, one of the first states to uh, allegedly legalize, but we still don't have home grow. Uh, the industry here is uh, under a lot of restrictions that no other industry is under. And we really need to press on the reforms until cannabis is regular in society uh, like any other legal activity. So tell me about this bill that you guys are promoting. Well, the bill, uh, there's two of them, actually. We have sponsors in the Washington State House and Washington State Senate. Uh, Washington is the only reform state that I know of that does not allow home growing by adult citizens as part of its reform. So uh, to correct that, uh, we've got a bill for six plants, which is what the majority of the reform jurisdictions, uh, including Washington, D.C., uh, have. Uh, Colorado allows 12 plants, and Michigan also allows 12, and Oregon is down at four. But we figured that uh, six was a good place to be. And uh, we have awesome sponsors, and they they support us well. But the the legislative process we got our hearings but we did not get voted out of committee and uh, so we're going to press on we're going to write a new bill for the coming uh, legislation session even though our bill is still live and we're going to ask for more in hopes that they'll actually move the other bill forward so those are the basics 
So what what is, what is your thought? You know, these six plant rules drive me crazy, and I I I want to throw up in my mouth every time I, I I see that. You know, when we go and we we go so far as to change things, and then we we change them like that. It's like you know, I, I'm just curious. What, what's your what's your personal thought about you know the idea of six plants is legal, seven plants is a crime? Right. Well, you've talked to all of our people for so long. You know that any restriction on numbers is really, uh, you know, it's a false control. People are going to grow what they grow, but. When we look at it from the way we have it in Washington, there is a legal uh, regulated system and there is the black market. Uh, I myself, if home grow were to be legal, I would want to grow my six plants to be able to control what I put into my own body. Uh, my needs are few, so six plants would be okay for me, even though they not might not be for others. Uh, but Anybody, whether they are a consumer or not, that could grow six plants under these bills could also gift to another in need, uh, such as a patient or someone who can't afford uh, cannabis but would enjoy it. Uh, maybe they're in Section 8 housing. Uh, maybe they're, you know, whatever their situation is, they may not be able to grow. And these bills would follow... Uh, what we have come in our culture to know that you share what you have when you can, and it's not always about the money. It's it's about uh, enjoyment. It's about the social experience. So um, I think six plants is great. One of the things that um, you know, maybe one of the only things. Again, I, I'm I'm a severe opponent of of any of this regulation. Um, and you know, I just figure, why not? Why not go after you know what's right, which would be let it be a plant. But the the thing that I I, I see that we've actually made some progress uh, in California, at least, is that the stakes have have lessened. You know, um, when you break the law as it is today in California, it's uh, less likely that you're going to do prison time, and it's more likely that you're going to be facing a a lesser crime and, you know, probably a fine or something, but uh, you, they'd have to be gunning for you pretty hard to find yourself in prison. doesn't mean you couldn't, and it, there's still plenty of folks in every legal state going to prison still today in Washington as well. But my question is, what are the stakes now if this law was to pass and you were to break it? What, what would you be facing? Well, you would face the same penalties uh, that you would now. For, uh, okay, so here's the thing. If you grow any number of plants as a non-licensee, you are considered black market, and that is a felony. Okay, so we constructed the bill under the same premise that allows the regulated system work to work. It's an exception. It's like this is illegal except if, you grow at home, you grow six plants, and you don't sell. So uh, the first thing is it would make it legal and not just an affirmative defense 
for anyone that's currently a patient uh, to grow six plants. Now, under the current regulation for medical in Washington, you can grow four with your authorization or up to 15 uh, if your uh, authorizing physician will jump through hoops and you got to join a registry. And uh, it, it's nothing that we've ever had before this reform came in. So uh, that's the first thing. The, the, the next thing is uh, it should encourage patients to realize that it's time for them to be legal, not just affirmative defense. Uh, we all, it's, it's common knowledge that cannabis is a healing plant and people with true legitimate need should not be subject to arrest and uh, having their property seized or forfeited. Uh, we do address seizure and forfeiture in the law and uh, then face trial, at which time only then can they prevent a defense. So um, a cop should be able to come in, see that you're 21 or older, count six plants, and leave you alone. So that would be a great benefit for anybody that is currently growing, risking a felony, and it would certainly benefit anybody that's medical uh, that could get by with at least six plants. Got it. Well, I have one last question, and that is, is there any effort, um, you know, to go all the way? Is there anybody proposing um, any legislation that would just decriminalize this and remove the, 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 the black market altogether? Or is well, that, has I'm everybody sure just given up and just decided this is where we're at? Sure. No, I, I don't think uh, that people like myself, even if I win – you know, and the people, you know, I work with an organization called Home Grow Washington. Uh, we have a Facebook group. I would invite anybody that actually lives or votes in Washington State to join that group. Uh, unfortunately, our policy is if you're outside of Washington, uh, we're really not interested in having you in the group because it's all about getting people to talk to their legislators. In trying to get sponsorship for this for these two bills, and we did get ten sponsors in the House and five Senate sponsors. So this is the strongest support we've ever had. And in talking to the uh, elected representatives and senators, uh, there is a great desire to fix what's wrong, but it's going to happen in steps. We have to realize that the people in our mainstream society that are unfamiliar with cannabis have suffered under the falseness of reefer madness for so long that it's going to take some time to change minds and hearts. So, you know, I'm happy to start at six. Uh, we get that. I'll be happy to go again and bump for 12 and, uh, you know, eventually 99 whatever it is, and I, I truly, when federal prohibition ends, as it is certain to do so over the coming years. I mean, look, we had Utah go medical, you know. Oklahoma came out of the blue. And, uh, you know, I just can't imagine. I, I couldn't have imagined that five or ten years ago. Now it wouldn't surprise me if Texas legalized. 
But when we get to two-thirds of the states that have reformed, uh, and we're close to that with just medical now, but only about a third of the way there with, um, you know, uh, retail. And, and please, I hate when people call it recreational. But uh, retail cannabis is a thing. It should be a thing. It should be a legal thing. And when we get that two-thirds majority, that's when the, the federal government is sure to go legal. So that's, you know, this is not a one-and-done thing. We have to keep work, And to do that, we have to do the things that we've talked about. You've got to show up in court in defense of, of our people that are charged. And you've got to talk to your legislators and let them know that you are a real person and that, you know, you're not just all about weed, that you are uh, an upright person that believes in uh, law and order and society for the good of all and that you want to follow the law, but you want a reasonable law that you can follow that recognizes your right to consume. So it's a long road ahead, Joe, but uh, we've taken the first steps here, and we're not about to stop. Excellent. Well, that's the most important part to me is that uh, we recognize that there is an end game, and the end game is about liberty, and until we have it, we're still oppressed, you know, until everybody has access to this plant, regardless of their, their social status or their uh, financial abilities, um, we're, we're, we're fooling ourselves. So I appreciate the hard work you're doing, and um, I encourage anybody who's in Washington to get a hold of Don through the Homegrown Washington Facebook group. Is there any other way that you would have somebody get a hold of you? Um, well, I am on, it's Don Skakie, S-K-A-K-I-E. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I, uh, I honestly, I get so many friend requests. I only answer them about once a year, but my page is public, uh, since the, uh, with the end of the session coming up and without, uh, being passed out of committee, I've taken a little hiatus. I went and saw my kids and Colorado and took a trip up to the Capitol in Wyoming where uh, everything's a felony. But, um, you know, there's going to be uh, one of our legislators that the sponsoring legislator has said there's going to be some work groups this summer. Uh, we're going to be looking at the language that we put forward and try and uh, adjust that for the alternative bill. Uh, we, we've listened. You know, when you go into these committees, you can't just talk. You've got to listen to what your opposition says and address their concerns. You know, people are scared of, of legalizing marijuana because they're unfamiliar with it. But the true legalization of cannabis is when we can show them that there is no boogeyman in the closet. It is safer than alcohol. And it's really a good thing for the economy. We create jobs, and we make otherwise unemployable people productive members of society. So check us up, and uh, wherever you are, do your own part and uh, get a group involved. Get, get like-minded people around you and go to work on your legislators because – you can stand out in the wind, but it's inside the offices and inside the committee rooms that real change happens. 
All right. Well, I very much appreciate you coming on. And, uh, you know, if something changes and you guys have uh, something to announce, feel free to get a hold of us and uh, you can come back on and share that around as well. Sure. Well, up this coming uh, month, you know, the first Saturday in May is the uh, Worldwide Cannabis Freedom March. And uh, I've been invited to speak down in Portland, so I'll be down there. But uh, if you are involved in any city uh, that has a Freedom March, please turn out for that. Uh, Listen to the speakers and talk to them afterwards. You know, if they inspire you, they're everybody. We're just regular people. You know, I I'm just a guy. I'm nothing special. But when you talk to people and you talk to people around you, that's when you get active. That's when you get involved, and that's when you make things happen. Nothing happens sitting just on Facebook or listening to a radio show. You've got to get out there, stand up, and say, "I support <coughs> cannabis." I support change, and I want this to happen. Well, I couldn't agree with you more, except for the radio show part. Things do happen when you listen to this show because we get people going, we set them on a course, and we make plans, and we activate them. So um, I I absolutely agree. We need to take action, and, um, you know, that's that's what this is all about. So, Don, I appreciate you being here, and uh, I look forward to hearing more coming up in the future. Sure, Joe, and I apologize for signing in late, uh, but uh, I'd be happy to come on the show again if you want me. That'd be great, absolutely. We'll coordinate it, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's always always good to hear uh, what's going on in other camps, and and uh, you know, part of what I'm trying to do is is bring a, a consciousness to a place where we can all be seeing something more similar, and maybe then we'll get more of what we want to see happen. I appreciate what you do, brother. Right on. Likewise. All right, Don Skaki, I said his name wrong before. I'll say it right this time. Appreciate you being here, and we'll talk to you soon. You bet. Have a great day. You betcha. All right, we got Pete Yapel up next, and then Tom Corby. We're already in overtime, but that's all right. We're an outlaw podcast. We do what we want. Pete Abel, New York. What's up? Solidarity <laughs> Operation. What's going on with you? Oh, man. Well, speaking of the march, we are marching Solidarity Over Separation. We've got about 20 people at least marching with us in the parade in New York. I'm speaking there as well. So uh, that's going to be great. we got that coming up. Uh, we're moving, obviously. That's new and wonderful. And it's about taking action. Uh, we're taking action again. I uh, was meditating the other day, I don't know, about a week ago, and now I'm going to walk across the United States and try to bring us all together. If I have to knock on doors, you know, I mean, it's, it's about people taking action. And like you say, if I've got to stir things up by taking a bunch of people with me and walking from one coast to the other coast, uh, to try to make you know us all just come together for one thing, just come together for one thing. I mean, Lord, I don't care if you wave to me when you go, but when I go by, I don't care if you put it on Facebook, do whatever it is. But we'll have places we're going to meet and stop. We're going. Uh, it's 
it, it's going to be take listen. It's going to take at least six months to even plan this thing because there's no way I'm just walking across the United States. I'm not a healthy man. You know what I mean? I'm not going to stick a backpack on my back and just start walking with a bottle of water. That's not the way I'm going to do this. Uh, I couldn't That's do it good that to hear. way. I've had a few people reach out a little bit concerned. No, it's no, not anything and I'll like be that. With him. And yeah. He's not going by himself. Yeah. It's going to be planned. So <laughs> you know better. <laughs> I do, but, but I didn't know what to tell these people that are going, what's he doing? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, hey, listen, I'll do just about anything, man. And if this is what it's going to take to help, even just to help, man, you know, we we live in a world that's really messed up, man. And we, we it, it's because of us, you know, but we're all, all of us want the same things, really. We just want life, liberty, and we want pursuit of happiness. No matter what your happiness is, I don't care what it is. Just as, you know, it, as long as it doesn't intrude upon mine, that, that's all we really ask in the world. But freedom of this plant, because we got good people like Craig sitting behind the bars, we got that we have to push legislation for six plants when we should be able to grow six lifetimes worth of plants if we feel like it. Uh, you know, everybody should be able to utilize and use the plant, and everybody seems to agree. But nobody seems to really want to do something. I think that it, we're just a little stagnant in the in the movement right now. I think that that he had a great he has a great idea with what he wants to do. I wasn't on board from the beginning. I have to tell you. Um, but, but he's listening now, to some marketing well, people yeah, and some. I'm, I'm listening and and getting a I'm, I'm getting a grasp of how it can be done effectively and safely, um, and it, this can really be huge uh, for all of us. And uh, I'm in now. All in. All right. Well, I'm all about huge, so let's do it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, listen, and we truly said, you know, and we've we've said from the beginning, you know, uh, you know, this will be a sponsored thing or whatever, but you'll never see a Pfizer sponsorship. Yeah. You know, you'll see very little to any, if any, carbon, <laughs> you know, carbon producers. We will never, we will never promote Nestle water. You know, I, you know, think there, I have certain standards that I have to keep myself because there's certain beliefs I have. And, uh, but I, I really truly want to plan this walk, Joe. And really like, if I can walk by Craig, man, you know, that, that, that truly would be something I would like to do, you know? Um, so well, it, it's, it but like again, it's almost two weeks and you're bound to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of people have reached out, and there's been a lot of interest. It's all been quiet because I, I, you know, uh, right now I just want to get this up and rolling because I, it, it truly can be done safely. You know, it's not going to be it's not going to be world record pace. Let's be realistic. Um, but but longevity is good, and once a month stirring up something somewhere only keeps once a month of something being stirred up somewhere is the way I look at it. There you go. I love it. I love it. Well, and right. um, exciting. I can barely yeah. keep up with what you guys got brewing. It's like uh, <laughs> you guys are like a, a rich jambalaya with pop rocks in there. Keeps you rusty stuff. <laughs> it, it's nuts, man. But it's it's stuff we see needs to be done, and. And and again, nobody really does anything. Look, so it's a way of life for us, and that's it. Right, it's truly, it's, it's truly, it. it's truly. And you, and the funny thing is, Joe, you've been, you were talking about Gandhi in the beginning, and 
again, on our card, on our business cards, on our TV set, it says, you know, <laughs> it says, and Helen starts the show off with it every week uh, and says, we live the change we wish to see in the world. Uh, that one, and then we also believe that the only way to truly serve, the only way to truly serve is to serve through others. You know, what I mean, the only it's way to find yourself. The only way to find yourself is service through others, and that's all we keep doing anymore. If we can find somebody that needs help, and we can help, we do. Even if it's direction, you know, I mean, right. people don't even take the time to do that for people anymore. So. You know, it, it, it's all about just getting along, man, and treating this plant as it should be, just like grass growing or trees or whatever else. Well, if somebody wants to connect up with you guys and be a part of Solidarity Over Separation, the New York chapter of the Human Solution, how would they get a hold of you guys? They can do that right on Facebook at Solidarity Over Separation, the Human Solution New York chapter. Uh, on Facebook, you guys can also always get us on our website, www.canowetalk42smallo.com. And my phone number is 845-23162. You can reach us anyway, and we're pretty public. Fantastic. Well, always a pleasure, and it's so exciting to hear every time I turn around, there's some new big thing happening out there, and uh, as much as uh, I don't like the humidity, uh, sometimes I feel like I need to pop over there just to just to jump in the in the middle of it all. So uh, you guys are inspiring me every day. You're hey, you're always welcome, man. And now we got this new place on four acres in the woods, man, with a oh, stream yeah. and a we're, pond, man. I'm we got, you, it's we're, I'm already setting up a spot for you and Liz that is just designated <laughs> for the two of you, and that's it. I love it. Hello. All right. Well, we'll, we'll be there. You know that. All right. Right. <laughs> All right. Awesome, All right. man. Great talking, y'all. All right. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for coming in. All right, folks. We're now uh, 15 minutes over time. We got just enough time for Tom Corby, the Lion of a Man from NorCal, California. Tom Corby, you're live on the air. Welcome to the show. Oh. Uh-huh. As always, I want to thank you, Joe, Lisa, Mary, Becca, all the great speakers today. Uh, we, Donna and I want to thank you again for love and support. Uh, Donna's back in the hospital. She's had hospital. She went to her doctor's today, this morning, Frank Booker, and she's been in the hospital all day with Frank. Thank him so much. And Nick Moran for being here for us. Uh, I mention every week that in Duke County, North Carolina, uh, we have very few cases left. Uh, you, of course, Joe, know W. Lucero very well, having come for her many times. I believe she had about 50 pre-trials, and we went for many of those, and we finally realized, folks, that we have to set our priority, which, number one, is file, which then will go a long way. Otherwise, we muster local court support, and this is Sacramento, and that's a 50-mile radius, we all agree. It doesn't mean that you can't come the distance. I understand the Lewises, Nicole Lewis might come up from Fresno, 
this is at uh, 10.30 a.m. tomorrow at Sacramento uh, 9th Street, uh, Department 8 at 10.30 a.m. Uh, I have this message, Shelby, I just got days ago, a very short notice that I told her. I said that we'll try to muster as much court support as possible. I'm glad I can right here. This is in the group. Always. Uh, I posted on Facebook. I have almost 10,000 friends. Every day I'm getting four to six friends requests. And I think any way we can go viral uh, and get the word out, uh, that's what we do. Uh, Mr. Sarah sent me this message. This is Shelby. I have urgent request for court support for a disabled combat veteran. Folks, that's a combat veteran. I'm a veteran, but I never did combat. So we kind of come harder here, aren't we? And his wife, who has lupus. Oh, my gosh. This Thursday, this is tomorrow, 425, 1030, Department 8, 729th Street. These folks were raided with an Army tank. Still remember, so was Shelby Lucero in Sacramento. They brought a tank in her front yard. What are we doing? Waste of time and taxpayers when they terrorize us over a plant. <sighs> Incomprehensible. They only had 100 plants, but they both if they both scripted, and that's 50 each. So they kind of get what both. And you, if you go over 99, we can't. The Eddie Lepp rule, uh, which Joseph Tully has won with Nick Moran and other cases with a 99 plant. When you go to 100, they kind of got you. Uh, uh, mostly we're just clones. I'm reading here. Either have priors or other drugs were found. Please DM me for more details. So I did, and we worked it, and that's posted on Facebook. Being at 3 tomorrow, I don't know what's going on with Donna. She's going to the hospital. Now, this is a which is quite important, folks, when you when you come to a Raymond. Those are totally taught me. I have everything. You know, until you get to arraignment, and then the game's on. This is when you really throw your 995, dismiss probable cause motion. This is when you make sure all the discovery, the has all discovery. They can't take you to trial until you have all your discovery. This is a time when you start being here all the good and your friends. You want to throw everything at them, sick of you. Course, take them to trial on a 45 day time waiver. That's what we do. This is how uh, the fat lady sings. So, uh, tomorrow, what I told Shelby, uh, if Raymond probably go all day. On the other hand, she'll tell you, uh, probably maybe just a continuance because that's what happens on most of these cases. Shelby will tell you. Uh, both the DA and the defendant have to have time to build their case. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture to say this could be go on the next series for maybe two or three months. This is exactly what we buy for. We go for a defendant. Dan Levine taught me many years ago, the longer you keep it going on, it finally goes away. Most of the time I find that to be true, even my case and Joe's case. 
So I want to thank you all again today coming together, volunteering to be the solution to finally end this failed war on our sacred cannabis plant. If there's no victim, how can there be a crime? Thank you again all today, and don't forget to breathe. I think it's time to bring in Willie. <laughs> all right, thank you, Tom, as always. And I want to thank uh, our screener, Noncompliant Mary, for being here, and uh, Lisa for doing the live feed, and Becca for uh, arranging our guests, and everybody that called in and shared their stories, and everybody that has decided to be a part of the solution. I thank you all. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse the human solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said and done, you were always on.